0: My name is Michael Aiken, or you can call me Mike, uh, one of the pastor elders here at community, and just a delight and a joy for me to be able to uh, uh, preach this morning. We're looking at first Thessalonians that's a mouthful. And we're going to look at uh, 17 verses here this morning. And so we're going to look at that uh, on the screen, and we're going to read God's word to start our, our time here this morning. So let's look at this, and if you're um, uh, unable to have a Bible and you'd like to have a Bible, we have these pew Bibles here, it's on page 1135 in the pew Bible, the passage that we are looking at. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I want you to take note, in Thessalonians, every chapter ends with something about the second coming of Jesus. So take note to that as we read this. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to, go- to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'd ask you to bow with me in prayer. Lord, we are thankful for your, your holy, inerrant word that we've just read. Above all, we are thankful for who you are. You are perfect. You are, there's none greater than you, Lord God. You are unchanging. You are infinite. There is no boundaries for you. And you're not growing like we are, Lord. You are perfect in every way. And uh, you're holy, your love, your peace. <clears throat> and you call us, Lord, to worship you, to worship you with our whole heart. We confess to you that we have sinned against you in our thoughts, words and deeds. We ask you to cleanse us by, by the blood of Christ. We thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And we ask that that spirit would uh, guide me and, and guide us, Lord, that you would convict us of sin, that you would draw us to yourself, Help us to put the idols out of our lives. Help us to take sin seriously. And Lord, I confess that there's times where I just get more excited about a ball game than I do about what you've done for me in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that distracts us, that we are dazzled and amazed by many things in this world, Lord. And they're not wrong in themselves, but just keep us, Lord, from loving them and wanting them more than you. May you be our pursuit. And so thank you for hearing our prayers and attending to our needs as you have done. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking this morning. This is our final sermon uh, on First Thessalonians, and we're looking at 17 verses here, and this letter was written to the Thessalonians who lived in a city that's still in existence today in modern-day Greece. And last week, Benjamin ended his uh, sermon with a story uh, of his family waiting in line to board a train down in Florida at Busch Gardens, and he painted this picture of how hopeless that situation can be. He wanted to be assured that they were going to be in the train and reach their destination. And I'm here to just continue that theme. It's because of God's doing, his initiation, that we are in Christ and in his salvation train, so to speak. And it is going to reach its destination. Jesus has rescued us by his grace and he is going to finish what he started by coming back in judgment and to set up the new heavens and the new earth. In the meantime, until Jesus comes back in person and bodily, we live in the in-between, the already and the not yet. As Benjamin made that very clear last week and he, he showed us what that is. Verse 11 is one of the clear connections with our passage today. Listen to this verse. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Encourage one another and build one another up. In these final instructions and a benediction, which we've seen in this passage, we see that God wants the believer in Jesus to experience peace. Peace. I don't know if this surprises you. It surprised me. Peace is the theme that runs throughout verses twelve through twenty-eight, and I have a, the commentator Greg Beal, who credit for this he has made this abundantly clear and as I've read the word myself here I'm, I'm convinced of it he has said it this way it's bookended pieces at each end so if you look at verse 13 and then look at verse 23 in verse 13 we see be at peace among yourselves in verse 23 now may the God of peace himself make us completely holy And so that's the not yet. You and I are holy now in Christ, but we're not perfectly holy. And the not yet will be when we are unable to sin. We'll be in a glorified body in the future. But God wants his people to have peace because peace is his nature. And I believe it is the thread that runs throughout this section. And so what is peace? And how are we to experience it? I believe it is God's will that we experience this peace. And here's the meaning of peace, I believe. Peace means harmony. <clears throat> and it brings about, it is brought about by God's grace. Also, what is the opposite of peace? It is disorder and chaos. When things are broken up and scattered And there's chaos and disorder. That is not peace. But God has graciously given us these instructions and a benediction, which by his design will bring us peace. So let's now look at this simple roadmap that we're gonna do. And I'm just gonna forewarn you, the first point is gonna be the bulk of the message. And it's uh, final instructions. The first part is final instructions, which bring peace. The second point, Is a benediction. And just because we don't spend a lot of time on it, it's it's very important. Uh, But it's a benediction which brings peace. And as I'm thinking about final instructions, I I think about when I'm boarding airplanes. And I don't get to fly all the time, but you know how you sit on your seat and uh, you're listening to the flight attendant for the final instructions before takeoff. And I kind of think it's sometimes like... um, Remember in Charlie Brown when the, 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 the Charlie Brown characters are listening to the adults on the phone? wonk wonk, wonk, wonk. I think sometimes we don't listen. You know, it's kind of like they're not, you know, it's the, the adult. It's kind of like, we, it's, that's kind of how the, I think final instructions can be. We're not good listeners. And so my prayer is that we would be good listeners to these final instructions. And the first instruction that we're going to spend the most time on is be at peace with your leaders. The 2nd subpoint is be at peace with one another. And then the third one, we could say maybe be at peace with ourselves, but I think to be more accurate, it's look at these attitudes and actions which will bring peace. But we're going to spend our most time on this first one. And so the leaders are in view here. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And I believe the leaders that are in view here are the elders or the pastors, the overseers. And what they do, they are guardians of doctrine and ethics. As Paul and his companions established churches, and Paul did it as a team, they would, as they were going from city to city, Preaching the gospel, they appointed a team, a plurality of elders in each church. Why? There is strength and accountability in numbers. And and there is shared leadership with an elder team. As Acts 14.23 says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. It is important to know the work of an elder. That's what this passage is pressing upon us. Know the work of an elder. It is hard work. It is labor. And this points this labor points to the hard work of shepherding sheep. It involves teaching, leading, warning, counseling, and rebuking. It is not... An easy job. Pastors just don't work on Sundays. I know that's the joke. Hey, you just work one day a week. No. It's it's hard work. Laboring upon the word. Uh, In fact, there's double honor for those who preach and teach the word. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. But I want you to take note to the word for respect. It has the basic idea of knowing and here, respect for our leaders in the church should come as we know what they do. The elders of the church are charged with shepherding. That's what they are to do. And they're shepherd God's flock with the needs of the flock. And the needs are they, they need the word taught to them. They need fed. They need protected. From false teaching. And then when they get hurt uh, from wolves and from maybe from Satan and from demons and from other people from hard situations, they are going to need healing from spiritual attacks by the enemy. All these activities are hard work. And as Hebrews 13:7 reminds us, remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then in Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Richard Phillips gives this insight about uh, about pastoring here and and he's looking here in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 he says this when this particular passage Hebrews 13 17 calls for obedience to church leaders the author of Hebrews gives this reason for they are keeping watch over your souls Many Christians have security companies that watch over their homes and possessions. When such a company calls for new locks or new windows, the homeowner dutifully responds. Others have financial experts who watch over their money. And when a stockbroker recommends a sale of stock, the action is immediately taken. Pastors and elders watch over the immortal souls of God's people. How eagerly should submission be given, especially on clear biblical grounds? When the church leader admonishes us calling for change or increased motivation, it's for the well-being of our souls. I find this point from Richards very convicting. How eager are we to listen to our leaders who watch over our souls? God wants there to be peace between the leaders and the flock they oversee. I'm just going to say just a quick aside here. That doesn't mean everything your leader will say to you is correct. You have to always judge it by the word of God. And leaders can get on rabbit trails and they can major on the minors, and we could talk more about that. I had a long conversation with someone after the first service, and I heartily agree. But the text says that the leaders are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So so listen carefully here. The authority that the elders have over the flock is from the Lord. They are working as under-shepherds, under the chief shepherd, Jesus, and they're doing what the Lord Jesus wants for his flock. The sphere in which they work is, notice in the text, it's in the Lord. We as sheep go astray and the Lord has called elders to the task of admonishing the sheep, which means we are to instruct and warn the sheep. We're, that's what shepherding involves in part. Also leading and comforting. And this is all based on God's word. The the way elders carry out this responsibility is important. So note, note here, the way in which we do this job is very critical. And so the Apostle Peter gives these clear instructions of how elders are to shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it'll be up on the screen here. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So notice here, the Apostle Peter says, I'm an elder as well. I'm... Exhorting you. I'm I'm speaking to you now. I'm pleading with you and urging you. I'm a witness of what Jesus did. He suffered. And and as well, I'm going to be a partaker of the glory. I'm a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. That's going to be at the second coming of Jesus. Shepherd. This is activity that we're to do. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now he tells them how to do this, taking, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory there's the second coming of Jesus again that we're waiting for Many things stand out in this passage, but a few are worthy of note, such as willingly, eagerly, not domineering like a, a dictator, and being examples. These are not easy, but it's really important that elders, pastors, shepherd the way that God wants them to. Because they are going to have to give account to the Lord for how they carry out their jobs. Regard your leaders, verse 13. First Thessalonians 5.13 says this, And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Recently, this body of believers applied this to Jason and Natalie Abbott and, and their family. We had a special time on a Sunday evening where we shared with the abbots how much we appreciated them. Many of us sent cards, gifts, Sang a song, a friend is a friend forever. I know it was dripping with sarcasm, but well done. And we gave words of appreciation both privately and publicly. I believe the Lord was glorified in the way we showed our high esteem for their work among us these last seven years. The mental anguish of pastoral work is exhausting. It is hard to appreciate how difficult the job of pastoral work is, of balancing family with caring for people and their many needs. To esteem, when the Bible says there to esteem, the word means to regard. And we are to regard our leaders very highly in love because of their work. Notice carefully the text. Or to regard them very highly because of their work. Again, it is the work of an elder that is being highlighted. Not that you would like their personalities per se. But you know they are working hard for your spiritual growth. Colossians 1.28 shows us what the work of a pastor is. Him we proclaim. That's Jesus The elders are to proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, says Paul, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul knew better than anyone else the cost of being a leader. As an apostle, he experienced hardship many of us cannot relate to. I'm just going to say another aside here. This shows us as the letter ends, Paul would say, pray for us. Pray for us, leaders. We need your prayers. So listen now to Paul. And I want you to think, is he experiencing experiencing his best life now? I want you to hear this and listen to this. Read this with me or Look at it on the screen. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Here's Paul. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. So he was beaten with 39 lashes. How many times? Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times... Stoning kills most people. Three times I was shipwrecked. We know of one for sure. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. Here's Paul enjoying his best life now. In in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He's speaking to a church that rejected his authority, the Corinthians. And so he's saying, who is weak? And I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? The burden of people problems and patiently trying to bring about reconciliation of conflict is a heavy weight elders carry on their hearts. As you saw with Paul, he was, the health, wealth and prosperity gospel isn't working here. I mean, you read Paul's life and he he said he actually went hungry. He didn't always have it big and good. But he knew that better things were coming in the future. And so he, he put up with the hardship of this, this job, this calling, this love of people. Th- loving the Lord first and foremost, why he was doing what he was doing. But today, people leave churches because pastors do their job of loving them and pointing out sin that, that needs to be repented of. If you notice in our passage, it says that pastors admonish. That is their warning. And so in the American church, and I don't want you to hear me here saying there's never a good reason to leave a church. There are good reasons to leave a church, and we can talk about that at some point. Uh, I can think of at least three or four that are clear biblical reasons to leave a church. But um, I think the American church today has a consumerist mindset, unfortunately, and I believe our, it's it's part of our culture. We're deep in it. When people don't like something, they just leave to get their felt needs—not their true needs, but their felt needs, what they think is important. It's all about them as an individual. And so they'll go to another church that's going to coddle them, and that's the the temptation. You know, churches are being looked at as stores. And we go from church to church with a consumerist mentality. Again, don't hear me saying there's never a good reason to leave a church. But pastors are very tempted to overlook sin so they don't lose the members. And so we feel this pressure. I remember over 30 years ago, I experienced this in one of my churches. and one of my congregants. He was a wealthy man, so I was told. And whenever he was upset, he often, of course, Mike preaches too long, Uh, they would complain about that. And one of my fellow leaders would, of course, talk to me. Well, one day I had to confront this individual with an immoral situation he was involved in. He was very offended that I would confront him. I did it privately, I did it in his home, I didn't embarrass him publicly. But he was not going to repent of that situation. He admitted to it, but he's not going to change. And so the outcome was not what I had hoped for. But this is just one instance that makes pastoring so hard. Notice that we are to esteem our leaders highly in love. When love increases, there is a healthy appreciation of our leaders. And the result of this is peace. Remember, peace is what this passage is about. How are you and I going to experience it? By appreciating our leaders, for one. But peace is also, when he says be at peace among yourselves, there's a connection with what goes before and then with what follows. And we're to have peace not only with our leaders, but also with our fellow members in the body of Christ, as verses 14 and 15 make clear. Be at peace with each other. Admonish the disorderly is the first one we see in verse 14. And so this whole passage where we see different groups of people that have need, we're going to see the disorderly, the faint-hearted, and the weak, and the passage will be up for us. It's a... Uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Brothers here is referring to brothers and sisters. So he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. In verse 14, God is showing us how to relate to different types of people. The first group of people are to be admonished or warned for being idle. Now the word idle is better translated disorderly or disruptive. I think one translation has it unruly. These people are characterized by being undisciplined. Idol can give the picture that they are inactive, like very passive, just sitting around, you know, just watching TV all day, taking it easy. But on the contrary, these people are actively, they were going, being busybodies, going about from house to house when they should have been working. We learn this from 2nd. Thessalonians 3.11. One of the areas Paul had to correct in the Thessalonian church was believers who had false views about the second coming of Jesus. What were their false views? They, they either thought he had returned already. Some were saying that. They thought the day of the Lord had already come. Or they knew exactly when he would return. And both views are false about the second coming of Christ. We don't know when it will be. The result of this false teaching was not working a job, and then being dependent on others to meet their financial needs. Paul addresses this serious situation, which gives us another example of when to exercise church discipline. People often wonder, when do you exercise? It's any unrepentant sin, and that's one of the characteristics of a Christian. It's not that we don't sin, but we repent of our sin. But these people were disorderly, and they needed to be disciplined so that they would repent and get back to work and be a good example to the unbelieving world. By not working, these believers were giving the gospel and the Lord's church a bad name because they were being dependent on others when they shouldn't have. This teaches us that our sin affects many people, not just ourselves. There was a man named Alexander back in ancient Greece who was convicted of a crime. And the emperor at the time, Alexander the Great of Macedonia, said that this man needed to change his name because he was not worthy to have such a name. You and I bear the name of Christ, Christian if we're believers in Christ. And yes, we are unworthy of that name in and of ourselves. Yet God calls us, walk worthy of the calling he has called us to work and he gives us the grace that we need he's given us the holy spirit who lives within us who enables us to walk orderly the gospel does not call us to a disorderly life but to one of discipline and order god saves us to do good works they are the evidence or the badge of our justification of our faith in christ And as James says, faith without works is dead. And so those who are disorderly need to be admonished. They need to be warned. But the second group here is encourage the faint-hearted. Some of us get discouraged easily, and we need the encouragement of other people. So again, this presupposes a, a, a relationship that's just not once a week on Sunday. But you meet with people. You know people. You You love them and care for them and you listen to their needs and you and I are going to have many different opportunities and so if you know someone who's discouraged right now my plea would be for you to make it a point to minister to them this week to send them a card or to make a visit maybe make a meal pray for them and tell them you are praying for them. So as an action item, before you leave here today, think about someone that you can encourage in this way who are discouraged. King David, of all people, a very mighty warrior, was discouraged. Being chased by King Saul and his good friend, best friend, Jonathan, helped him find strength in God. 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16. And then help the weak. Some of us are weak spiritually and we need help. Here the word help means to hold fast to and not let the person go. When a football player is injured. And can't walk. He's lying on the field. He needs people to help him. He can't walk on his own. He needs people to carry him. To shoulder him. So that he can get off the field. In discipleship. When people struggle with sin. We need to help them. By giving them scripture. Prayer. Words. Words that will help them be stronger. They need us to be patient with them and to listen to them. We need to not let go of those who are weak. The weak could be those who struggle with addiction. Maybe it's alcohol, drugs, food. Maybe it's a shopping addiction. Maybe it's a sport addiction. It can be anything good and legitimate, but it can be addiction. One commentator says it this way, unless a wayward believer has hard-heartedly rejected all church authority and accountability, Christians should never give up, but patiently bear with all manner of failings and weaknesses. I hope you hear me on this. Be patient with them all. It is easy for us to, who do not share in these struggles, just mention, to be impatient. Just like the world, you know? If you're not going to help, if you're going to be a burden we discard. That's not biblical. It's not Christ-like. May God give us the grace to be patient with others' struggles as God is with us. We are confronted with people's needs every day and we are being given a ministry opportunity by God. Maybe it's just a short word, but you'll be given that opportunity. Maybe just to say, I'm going to pray for you and that you care. And so look at those as ministry opportunities. Don't be impatient with people. Bear their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is love. And then finally here under this section of our relationship with one another, don't retaliate but do good to all. Retaliation is something that we don't need to be taught, do we? But I had a scoutmaster, he would often, I remember him saying, I don't get mad, Mike. I just get even. I don't know if you've ever heard it said that way. That's how I recall it. And that does not reflect how God wants us to relate to our enemies. If you are mistreated, you are not to mistreat those who were unkind to you. The Thessalonian church was persecuted. And it would be easy for them to try to hurt their enemies. But the Lord says, bless them instead. And then under this section, we see attitudes and actions under the final instructions. Attitudes and actions which bring peace. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. That's verse 16, verse 17, and then verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. When we look at these three commands, we may be puzzled how they connect. Our circumstances in which we are in, it's hard for us to see how to be thankful, it's difficult. Maybe it's the loss of a job or the loss of health. Maybe it's the loss of a relationship, a broken relationship. And yet we're told in the midst of these difficulties that we are to be thankful. We are to ever keep our eyes on who God is. And we can always be thankful for who he is. He is sovereign over all our circumstances. And Jesus is coming back. And and he's going to bring justice. And we are not to be thankful, however, for the circumstance. But in the midst of that circumstance, we are to be thankful. And as the British preacher, I like what he said, Charles Spurgeon. I, I love his summary of verses 16 through 18. Pray constantly, he says. The more we pray, the more we rejoice. Prayer gives a channel to the pent-up sorrows of the soul. They flow away, and in their place, streams of sacred delight pour into the heart. At the same time, the more rejoicing, the more praying. When the heart is in a quiet condition and full of joy in the Lord, then also will it be sure to draw near to the Lord in worship. Holy joy and prayer act and react on each other. Observe, however, what immediately follows in the test. Give thanks in everything. When joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. When we joy in God for what we have and believingly pray to him for more, then our souls thank him both in the enjoyment of what we have and in the prospect of what is yet to come. Maybe you're young here today and you feel like your dreams May not come true. And they may not. And I'm not saying here don't dream. But your dream may not come true. Maybe you are middle-aged and you see some or all of your dreams have not come true. And you have regrets. And maybe you are up in the twilight years looking back and you know your dreams are never going to come true. You have regrets and fears. Remember, no matter where you are in life... These verses are God's word for you. I like what Paul Tripp says here. Young people are like astronauts, and older people are like archaeologists. An archaeologist looks back, looks at the past, digs. And so us older folks, we're digging, and we're seeing things, and we're regretful. And we might have fears because of that. And then an astronaut is always looking forward and looking up. I thought that was a good illustration of how we often are. We're either like an astronaut or an archaeologist. Well, here's the good news. Our God is faithful. And so we end with a benediction. I'm going to pass over. Don't put out the Spirit's work. I'll briefly comment on how we need to give attention to his prophetic word it's very important. But there's a benediction which brings peace in verses 23 and 24. And let's, let's look at that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul is praying here. He's speaking good words, and he he is praying for God to make them fully holy and for the not yet to happen. And what's he say here? It's going to happen. He who called you is faithful. He will bring what he started to completion. The already is what God has started. You're already saved, and yet you will be saved completely, given a new totally new body, new everything, you will have no desire, no ability to sin, you and I in Christ. We're regenerated now, but we still have, and we have the Holy Spirit, but we still have sin that remains in us. And so we're not completely holy in this life. And Paul is praying That at the return of Jesus, the believer will be made completely holy and blameless so that they can stand before the Lord in judgment. And guess what? God is going to have us so that we will be blameless before the Lord in judgment. And I love Augustine's words, Augustine's words here from his autobiography. He says, my entire hope is exclusively in your great mercy. Grant what you command, says Augustine and command what you will you command continents grant what you command and command what you will what's he mean augustine means this god grant me the grace and the strength that i that i need to keep your commands and command whatever you will you're god In and of ourselves, in our natural state without the Holy Spirit, we are unable to keep the commands of God, what He requires. We may outwardly do what God wants, but our inner motivation is not to do it for the glory of God. Now that you are in Christ, you are regenerated by His Holy Spirit. He gives you the ability to keep the law. So you have the ability to obey the Lord now. You also still have the ability to disobey And we're looking for that future state where we will have a new everything and be unable to sin against the Lord. And so Paul is praying for that. And he's also assuring us that train that we're on, we're going to reach that final destination of a glorified body, glorified everything, where we'll be giving glory to God throughout eternity. And so I conclude with not throw away verses here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. Brothers, pray for us. And I want to encourage you here, as we saw that we're to relate well with our leaders, pray for your leaders. And your leaders are praying for you. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Have good relationships with one another. And as we saw that outlined in those verses, how to do that, and that really means we need to be in people's lives in a good way where we love and care on them and I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers what God has given us in his holy word we attend to it these 66 books this is his will for us church and then the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you we need the grace of God to continue throughout this life and to bring us safely to our heavenly home and so I'm gonna close in prayer and I don't think the band's gonna come up. I went like I did first service. Am I correct in that? Shake your head or you're gonna come up? Just go ahead and pray and that's what I shall do. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you are gracious to us. You have given us final instructions and a prayer. It's packed, 17 verses, but we need your grace to do them. Uh, We need to relate well. With our leaders, I pray, Lord, that you would bring about peace in the relationship between elders and the flock here at Community. And I pray that in other churches in America and around the world. And, and we pray that, uh, that your church here and your church in America and around the world would, would put these instructions into play. That we at Community here help us to care for one another as we ought And may you receive all the glory. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.